Today we're in the fifth week of a uh, six-week series called Revealed, where Chris has been helping us to navigate uh, this unveiling of, of uh, the, the divine authority of Jesus and the kingdom of God through the scripture given to us through the narrative of Mark. So last week we saw how Jesus revealed himself to the people in the synagogue through his first teachings. And they couldn't believe how his teaching was that of one with authority. And this was, this was incredibly contrary to um, the teachers of the law that they had learned from. And they, uh, they were flabbergasted at this. And, and then he drew out an impure spirit from a man who tried to call Jesus out in the middle of church, uh, essentially. And Jesus then commanded the, um, the spirit to be quiet and then commanded the spirit out of the man. And, and it left with a shriek. And the people were amazed and astonished because they couldn't believe that uh, not only this authority with which Jesus taught, but how he gave orders to the impure spirits and they obeyed. So I guess it'd be one thing for someone to be rolling around shouting out orders, but whenever you, you know, you've got Jesus shouting them out and they're obeying him, that was insane for them. So news began to spread very quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. And that's where we are picking up today, exactly where Chris left off. So if you could turn with me to Mark chapter 1, and we're going we're gonna to be reading from 29 to 39. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. For those of you keeping track, this is the same day where we started last week. As Mark tells us, they, um, they left the synagogue, and as soon as they left, they went to the home of Simon and Andrew. The disciples then immediately tell Jesus about Simon's mother-in-law, who is very sick with a fever. And Jesus goes in, and he helps her up, and he heals her in such a way as it was as though she was never even sick. But just a moment before, she was so sick that she couldn't even stand. And I think it's important to just take note of Mark's verbiage here. And I know that um, Chris has spoken about it numerous times. Mark. He just gets to it, like, let's go. Almost like me when I come up here. I'm like, all right, let's go. We're jumping right into this. And so I appreciate Mark for that. And I appreciate how he's just like, immediately, as soon as they left, this is what they did. They went there. And then as soon as they got there, they were like, hey, Jesus, she's got a fever and she's doing bad. Come and help her. And he's like, all right, let's go. It's, it's very like um, specified and, and deliberate. And, and I love that. And so by the time that evening had come, News of what Jesus had done and what he, was, what he was up to, that was stirring. And so you've got 
um, you know, what had happened earlier in the day. You've got what happened, uh, the, the healing that had just taken place at the house. So all this was stirring and so much so that we we're told that by, um, by the time that the evening had come, the whole town had gathered at the door. So once the sun set, the people were there and this was their Sabbath. They weren't trying to break any, any laws about traveling on the Sabbath or, you know, healings happening on the Sabbath. So they waited. And that's why they're all there. We aren't sure to the exact numbers of what this means. The whole town. We don't know what that means. Some scholars say hundreds. Some even say that it could be a few thousand people. But that's not the point. The point is that there is an entire town of people who are so captivated by what Jesus is doing. They're hearing about him, and they want to know what, what is going on, that they all came, all of them. And we're told that they brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. That's, that's a lot of people, and that's a lot of stuff to do. We are then told that he healed many who had various diseases, and he drove out many demons. The way that Jesus does all of this, the healings and the driving out of demons, and the way that he continues to do it the entire duration of his time on this earth, he didn't, he didn't have to do it the way that he did it, okay? And think about this. There's an entire town, at least a few hundred people, and he is Jesus. So what he could have done was... All right, you're all healed, right? Think of the things that he's done and what he's capable of. It's Jesus. He could have, you know, I dream a genie did. And they would have all been fine. And he could have been like, all right, okay, bring me the next town-sized group of people. I'm Jesus. This is what I'm doing. But instead, instead what he did, he looked every single person in the face. He listened to them. He heard them, and then he healed them. Okay? And, and this is a time where the region is under Roman rule. So yes, a lot of the population was Jewish. But there's a lot of the other population. They were worshiping numerous gods and goddesses. That was very common. In the urban centers of Galilee, there were these uh, Roman cults where emperors were deified and emperor worship was in practice. And these people would display their loyalties by participating in these um, public ceremonies and offering sacrifices to various gods. And they would acknowledge them publicly. And they would acknowledge this public divine status of the emperor, okay? There was knowledge, um, well, the, the Hellenistic influence is very significant at this time as well. So just the knowledge of the Greek gods like Zeus, Hera, and Apollo, that with the Greek philosophical ideas, all of this was greatly influencing the intellectual climate at this point. Then you, on top of all that, you've got these local and, and regional deities that would often represent like natural forces or fertility or you know, other specific aspects of life. So natural forces like fire, wind, water, Captain Planet, you know, whatever, all of those things. And these people are worshiping these deities that represent that. They would establish these shrines throughout the land and these sacred sites. 
and people would gather here and they would seek blessings and guidance or sometimes protection from them. Then, on top of all of that, there are these mystery religions which involve sacred sites and promise initiation into hidden knowledge or a closer relationship with the divine. And these religions were ones that were built on rituals and symbols, and, and they uh, promised the sense of belonging to a select group. So think very exclusive. So not only could Jesus do for the people what these other gods couldn't do for them, performing miracles by healing them and casting out their demons, which, sidebar, proves his authority over both the physical realm and the spiritual realm, okay? He did so, okay? He did so without asking anything from them. They didn't have to perform any sort of public ritual. They didn't have to set up any shrines anywhere. They didn't have to wear any certain symbols and pledge their allegiance. They didn't have to sacrifice the mere things of this earth. But why not? Well, because the only type of God who can do that is the only God that there is. The definition of God itself shows. So look up the definition of God. I looked up a few of them. The supreme or ultimate reality. The being perfect in power, wisdom, and goodness, who is worshipped as creator and ruler of the universe. God is described as being omnipotent. Omnipotent is having universal, unlimited power, authority, and force. Omniscient. Having total knowledge and knowing everything. So by definition alone, those other gods cannot be God. They can't. They can't even use the term God in their name. If your existence as a God or God if you, that you're claiming to be is dependent upon which idols are being resurrected in your name or whatever symbols groups of people are wearing, okay, if that's how your existence is dependent, and then if the amount of power or protection that you divvy out for your people depends on what they can provide to you, from mere things of this earth, then I'm sorry, they're not worshiping a god or god, they're worshiping a poser. And, and that's unfortunately still true today, and maybe even more so. We see this various worshiping of other gods, deities, forces of nature. I, think about the the things that I don't want to like say too many, I don't want to offend, you know, our friends and stuff, but there are some, some things out there. But the same is still today as it was back then. God is still God. God doesn't need any of our gimmicks. Jesus still came here to show us what truth is, and we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us when we choose to believe that fact. There is still only one God. And he still wants to have a relationship with you. Not because of what you can give him. He created it all. We cannot give him what is already his. He doesn't want a relationship with us because we deserve it. Because we don't. That's the truth of it. He wants a relationship with us because of his love. 
and it is possible because of his grace. And that is why Jesus healed and cast it out the way that he did. Because in doing so, he revealed to them face to face, okay, exactly who God is. He revealed to them beyond the shadow of a doubt that he is absolutely the Messiah, the Son of God. And he revealed to them something that they had never received from any of their forces or laws or rituals or sacrifices before. And do you know what that is? It's a direct connection to God. Let's continue. In verses 35 through 37, we see that it's now very early in the morning, and Simon and his companions are out and about, and they're looking for Jesus. However, Jesus arose while it was still dark to go and pray. Now, right here, Jesus' example shows us the necessity, the necessity of balancing life, whatever your calling may be, whatever it is that we're doing, whatever it is, that, however we're living our lives, with intentional solitude and communion with God. Whether we're in ministry, whether we're a stay-at-home parent, whether we're working a nine-to-five, whether we're working a, a third-shift third job, whether we're in between jobs, whatever it is that we are doing, if we don't have a job, if we're just living, there's a necessity to, to step out, step away, and have dedicated, intentional time with God. Jesus separates himself from serving to pray in the midst of all the things, okay? He had a very long day. And when he rose, because we know that they didn't get there until after dark, when he rose, it was dark to go and pray. Now, I myself think that I am busy. In my day-to-day -day life, I think that I am busy, even as much as I try to guard my time and I try to guard my children's time. I don't want to overcommit them. I don't want to overcommit myself. I've seen it happen too much, so I try to guard it as best as possible. And I still feel like, I'm busy. Um, I don't know that I've ever been Jesus busy. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know that I've ever been that busy. Actually, I do know. I've never been that busy. Um, however, he still made time to pray. He still, like... He made it, and that was before we had alarm clocks. I just thought about that. <laughs> like, he was just like, all right, well, I'm going to get up and go pray right now. And he woke up early for it, and he didn't bother telling anybody what he was doing. And he didn't apologize for it. And that's just who he was. And I think that's important to know, too, because myself, um, being a mom and, and a wife and, and, and everything else in the world, I like to think that I carry myself in a way that I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm whatever God wants, that's what I'm doing. I don't care. <laughs> However, there's also this like weird little people pleaser part of me that still lives there. And I feel like, oh man, I, I'm sorry I wasn't here. You know, uh, what do I got to do? Or is it okay if I just take a little bit of time away to go and like prepare for the sermon or go and pray? You know, there's this weird like little thing inside of me that feels that way. But Jesus, and he's like with people that, it's not just like they were all friends, they met up together and then they were like, hey, we'll meet each other tomorrow. No, like, Jesus' companions, his disciples, they were living life together. That'd be like if those of you that are married, you just 
head out at four o'clock in the morning and don't tell you know your spouse where you're going. And they come all up and I'm just like, well, what? I was just praying. You know, there would be some sort of expectation of an explanation there. And, you know, not that Jesus was married to them, but they were, they were doing life together. So he doesn't apologize for it. I, I, that's just sticking with me. Um, that's his priority. And that's why he doesn't apologize for it, because that's his priority. That's just who he is. So anyway, we got, he, he got back from praying because, you know, they found him. And Simon and his companions, um, when they went to go look for him, and when he found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Like everyone's looking for you. So depending on which translation you read, and there are varying levels of uh, maybe concern or panic that you can sense in their words when they go to find him. But that doesn't affect Jesus or his mission. So in every translation that I've read, Jesus' demeanor, his response comes off as incredibly calm and even keel as can be. And he just says, Let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. He doesn't allow the demands of the people around him or the world around him who were quite literally chasing him down decide where he's going or what he's doing. So again, I'm going to reflect back on myself and my life and I think about being a parent and the kids and the chasing down. Like I felt a little bit like I could just identify with Jesus for a second there because I feel like I'm being chased down all the time as a parent. Everybody wants attention. Come and put this fire out. Come and put that fire out. Come and put that fire out. And, and sometimes I find myself getting distracted. And I mean, gosh, uh, a few months ago, I was in such a weird spot in life. I almost quit my job. I was like, well, I can't do it. I got to be here for the kids. You know, that would be ridiculous. You know, they're perfectly fine. My husband's doing a great job to help out with them, but I was allowing the demands of them and life to, to take me over. And I'm going to be honest, my prayer life wasn't that great at the time because, again, I was being pulled in 80,000 different directions, and I immediately felt it. As soon as I stopped, I started drifting away and allowing other people to pull me where they wanted me to go and, and not staying true to God and what his mission is for me, I, I crumbled. And so that's another thing we need to take from Jesus. He, he doesn't let them decide. He, let, he lets God decide. He had a mission literally from God, and he stayed to it. And, and so we need to remember that. And I'm going to summarize really quick. And, you know, I said earlier, I'm not doing the slides right now. <laughs> um, you know, I haven't found anything worthy of, like, putting on slides yet. And, and I don't know. I'm, I'm working it through. But I'm, this is a baby step towards that. Uh, we're going to take three things. I, I, we're going to take three things today that we're going to leave here with. And they all start with a P. I mean, this is a pretty, I get dips for this, right? Um, they all start with a P. And the first thing is pray. Well, prayer. We need to pray often, and we need to pray intentionally, just how Jesus did. We need to make it intentional to pray. Because if we sit here and we say, oh, yeah, I'm going to pray. Mm. You know right then and there something's going to take over. So we have to make it this intentional task. I don't know. I try to be a task person and write things on a list, and I, I lose the list. So... Um, 
we all have to do what we can, to, I mean, to, to pray, but um, who, I don't know who it was, but he started this thing, no Bible bef uh, before breakfast. And so uh, he wouldn't eat, wouldn't eat until he read his Bible. And that was his way of making sure that he got his Bible and his God time and his prayer time in for the day. So prayer, exactly how Jesus did intentionally. So that's the first P. Through our prayers, do you know what we're going to find? We're going to find purpose. And I promise you that. That P from promise is extra, sidebars. So extra credit for that as well. Um, you will find purpose. You will absolutely find purpose when you are intentionally praying. There's no doubt about it. And if you don't believe me, try it. You're also going to find direction and strength and wisdom and answers. But you have to pray. You have to pray. That is our connection to God. Like we don't have to go through all that garbage that you know all of these other people following these false things are going through. We don't have to follow, man, even the laws. Do you know how hard it was to even like try to pray back in the day for people that did believe in God? And it was it, it, the fact that we can pray, we need to take huge advantage of it. Prayer. When you pray, you're gonna get purpose. And guess what? Once you find that purpose and once you get all of that that you need, you're absolutely going and to, to go and share it with people. You will. You're going to. You're going to because you cannot help it. That's why Jesus came to tell the people, right? I mean, that is absolutely. So we are his hands and feet now. I am. You are, regardless of, of whatever standing we have in our lives, where, whether we're working in a church, whether we're working anywhere, whatever it is that we are doing, you are God's hands and feet, period. And you accepted that mission whenever you decided that you wanted to believe in the truth of why he came, why he did what he did. You are his hands and feet. We cannot wait for other people to go and do the job that we were tasked to, to do. And, and that is so encouraging that is so encouraging and that's so exciting because with, with us being as hands and feet, we do have that purpose. And think of how you can give that gift. We've all lived without purpose. At one point or another in our lives, we've lived without purpose. And sometimes, yeah, we still live without, but we're like, okay, well, we're not sure. We're in between purposes, but we've kind of got a big idea. When we can give that to somebody else, that's that's incredible. That's sharing the gospel. That's giving somebody Jesus. Okay? So prayer, purpose, and people. 